my friend, are you living for Jesus on high? Or will you be left when he comes in the sky? There'll be nothing but sorrow for those left Drew back, then he'll bring a message from God's uh, holy word. And so glad that you're here. Come on up here and preach to us God's word. Whew. Good evening. What I want to talk about tonight in the scripture is something that's really, 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 really been bothering me a lot. Not externally, but internally. Something that I've been struggling with. And so um, I kind of want us to look at a challenge in scripture and... and um, I want us to weigh it against our lives, you know, kind of see where we are in accordance to this challenge. But before we get in there, I kind of want to, I'm just going to, I want to tell you about something. And, it, and it, this is just an observation that I've made um, through my young 22-year-old life, eyes, you know. It, it could be wrong, I'm probably wrong, but it seems to me that somewhere, somehow, God's people are beginning to forget the cost of discipleship. Um, and so what I just want to kind of sit back and look at tonight is the cost of discipleship. That's what I want to look at. And so um, I hope that this challenges you but also challenges me. And so tonight what we're going to start out is in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to start there. We're also going to look at uh, the same account as we're going to talk about the Jesus calling fishers of men. We're going to look at Mark 2. And what do we say the cost of salvation is, right? What's the cost of salvation, Brother Michael? Right. The blood of Jesus. And to us, it's nothing, really. It's free. It's a gift. And that is absolutely 100% true, as we see taught in Scripture. But what is the cost of discipleship, I must ask you? So, we come to the scripture today, and we're going to start in verse uh, 18. Matthew 4, verse 18. And it says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Okay? Just kind of put a mental note there. That's really important. We're going to come back to that. From the... Oh, I went backwards. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets. Mental note. And followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. Note. And he called them. And they immediately left their ship 
and their father and followed him. Now turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 16. And if you go to Luke, we won't go to Luke just for time's sake, but you'll see similar, the same thing. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Now, as he, this is talking about Jesus still, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net, mental note, into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And he also called James and John, and they were mending their nets as well. Okay, so if you look at Luke, it's the same thing. There's, some, there's, there's a common denominator in all of these stories. Of course, Jesus, the people in them, whatnot. But there's something that is mentioned in every story that seems kind of in, not important. But it's specifically mentioned in every story. And, and it's, it's the fact that there are nets present. That it says they were casting their nets. They were uh, mending their nets. They were casting out nets because they were fishers. Now, if this wasn't important... That he could have just looked over this small detail. This is a pretty small detail to kind of to put in each account. So when I was preparing for this message, I wanted to do some research on kind of the, the life of a first century fisherman, right? And uh, I won't divulge all the information I uh, found, but something really important about the nets was this. Um, they had a few different kind of nets they were going to be using, but we're going to stick with one net called the Ditka net, I believe, um, and it was a three-layered net, right? It had two outer layers that were big netting and then a small inner layer that was small netting. So the fish would swim in. They'd get tangled up, and they'd, and they'd bring it back in, and they'd catch the fish. Because um, now what's important about these nets is the labor that they go over in these nets. You see it, James and John are doing what? They're mending their nets. The fishermen would fish all night. They would fish through the night. And you see this in Scripture too, a few different accounts. In Luke, you'll see that. Peter says, we've been fishing all night, right? We haven't caught anything. But they would fish all night, and then every day when they get done fishing, they'd bring their fish in, they'd separate it out, give it to their helpman, and they'd separate you know, what they're going to take home, what they're going to sell, whatnot. And then they would clean their nets every single day, and this was a tedious, especially for this net. They'd have to pick out junk that's in their nets, wash down, and if there was any tears or holes in them, they would immediately have to stop, and they'd have to fix it right then and there. They'd have to fix it. And this was tedious because their nets, right? If the fish are getting tangled in there, they're trying to swim out. It's getting torn all the time, and they have to do this all the time. Now you say, why, why is this important, right? Why is this important? And this is why this is important, is because if their nets broke, okay, the fish would swim through and they wouldn't catch any, they wouldn't catch any fish. If they didn't catch any fish, they couldn't feed their families. If they didn't catch any fish, they couldn't feed their hermans families, their workmen's family. They couldn't catch any fish, and they couldn't sell it. If they couldn't sell it, they couldn't make money. They didn't have money. They couldn't pay their bills, right? This should be a cable TV commercial. And um, if they couldn't pay their bills, you know, their everything, their whole job, their whole life depended on their nets working, and, and that's how important they were, right? And today, if, you, if you're driving a big truck, I'm not sure why I'm using this analogy, but we'll say we're all big truck drivers, okay? Every single one of us in here. And our life depends on our truck. We've got to keep it clean. We've got to keep it working. We've got to keep it maintained. And because um, if our truck doesn't work, we can't take loads. We can't drive. We can't, right? We're not making any money. And 
So you have to keep it. This is how important their nets are. You know, if their boats broke, then they could still wade out in the water, and there's different techniques that they would use, and they'd still be able to use their nets and, and fish and catch fish and stuff. Now, I say all that to say this. In every account, in the first one, Matthew and Mark, you look at, if you look at Luke, and we're, the, in Mark, it really says it really strongly. We're looking at it again. This is what I want us to see. It says, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And they were fishers. And Jesus said, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And then it says, And straightway they forsook their nets. Now if you take it as it's read, it's almost like they left it in the water. You know, they, they could have pulled it back up and they didn't tell us. But they forsook their nets. They left them there. They completely left their nets and everything they were doing, and they followed Jesus Christ. And you see, their nets were everything. It was their life. And here's the cost of discipleship. Here is the one point for tonight. Here is the challenge, is that discipleship cost us everything. You see, salvation is free. It's a gift. Christ paid for that salvation. But in order to follow Christ and be his disciple, we have to forsake everything in our lives. Everything that we are, everything that we love or that we are a part of, everything that we stand for and represent as a human being, it dies. We kill it in order to follow Christ. And you see, and if you look through Scripture, if you start at the beginning of the book and read it all the way through, this isn't, this isn't something new. This is not a new commandment or a, a new teaching or a new principle. If you go back to the beginning, right? Has anybody ever heard of a man named Abram? You come to, you come to Genesis and you see this man named Abram, right? And he's with his family in his homeland. And the Lord comes to him and he says, Abram, get all your stuff, get all your immediate family, and I want you to leave and just go. And whenever you get to where I want you to be, I'll tell you to stop. He had to leave everything behind. Noah? I imagine Noah probably had some friends. I mean, he, I can't imagine Noah being a hermit. I mean, of course, he was different from the whole generation. But he probably had some friends that died in that flood. He probably had a life that he loved that he had to die for. That he had to die to to get on that boat. And to follow what God gave him to do. And one more from the Old Testament. This one really, this one really kind of, I really, this one kind of confused me at first. And it was Elisha. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 19, and let's turn there. I would love just to read a little part of it. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, you see Elijah is running from it, running basically from Israel because they've killed all the prophets and he's the only one left, right? And he's hiding out, and which doesn't make any sense because his God is the God of all creation. And but uh, he's running and he's hiding in a cave in 19. Well, then the Lord comes to him and they have a dialogue, and basically the Lord tells him to go and gives him a command to go do something. Well, in the at the end of chapter 19, right before verse chapter 20, in verse 19 it says, "So he departed thence and." found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow thee. So it kind of doesn't make any sense. We don't really understand what's going here in the you know, Western New Age context. 
But basically what's happened, Elijah has found Elisha, and he's, he's basically calling on him, asking him to follow him and be his apprentice, be his servant, you know, be his, um, who's going to replace him, basically. And, um, but you see, Elisha goes to him and says, hey, let me tell my mother and father goodbye. Okay. And he said, and he says, go back again for what have I done to thee? And then the very next verse, it says, and he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instrument of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So Elijah gave this calling, right, on Elisha. And before Elisha just jumped on board and said, okay, let's go. He stops and he says, let me say goodbye to my father and mother. Why would he say this? Could it be because he knows he might never see them again? He's preparing himself to never see them again. And then the thing that he does next is really kind of strange is he takes a yoke of oxen, which would be two oxen because there's two oxen on one yoke, and he kills them. And then he takes the yoke and he burns it and he kills, he, he feeds it to the people you know, like, why would he do this? You know, why don't he just leave, him, leave the oxen for his dad? You know, I mean, what, what, what's going on here? And here's what's going on. It's this. Elisha was making a statement. And this is what he was saying. He says, I can never come back to this. And I'm dying to who I was. And I can never come back to this. And he follows Elijah. And then you come to the New Testament, right? And this is all throughout the Old Testament. You come to the New Testament. And you got the disciples and then Paul. Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, of zeal persecuted the church, the Pharisee, the Pharisees, right? But what does he say? I count it all lost compared to the mere knowledge of Christ. And so I say before you today that the cost of salvation is free, but the cost of discipleship is absolutely everything. It, 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 it's, it is pictured, it, it's, it's outlined, it's, it's exampled through Scripture time and time and time again. You never see a story where God calls out a man or a woman and they don't have to give up everything. That they can't just kind of follow God and kind of do what they want to. They can't stay where they are and still follow God in some way or in some form of fashion. They have to give everything that they know of and they've come to love up to follow what God's commanding them to do. And there's one last place I want to go to and this is where we'll end tonight. And it's Luke chapter 14. And this is what I've been struggling with for months, really. Um, and this is, and right now, this is the hardest thing that, that I'm having to come to terms with. Um, probably in my mind, probably one of the most challenging places in Scripture is this Scripture right here. And this is it. In verse 26 of chapter 14 of Luke. Jesus says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now notice what Jesus is about to say. We're going to read the rest of this. 
And I think this is kind of, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but something that, a trend that has happened, you know, even happened to me is, right, you have pastors, you have ministers, right, that give this awesome sermon and somebody comes down and they're just emotion-ridden and guilt-ridden and they're just like, uh, you know, of their sin and everything. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And right, what's the pastor say? He's like, you got to be saved. you gotta, you got to do this. you got to do this. It's almost like, and we almost like beg people to follow Christ and to, and to get saved. And I'm not saying that that's wrong or anything, but I'm saying what, what, what Jesus is about to do is completely different from this. And this is very unique or uh, odd, you know, to what I'm used to or, or however you want to say it. But this is what Jesus says. He says, for which of you intending to build a tower? Sit is not down first and count the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Alright? You see, he's telling him, you need to, he, he tells him the cost, right? He says, You've got you to gotta, you gotta hate your life. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. That's the cost of discipleship. And then he tells them, you need to sit down and think about it. You need to sit down and think about whether you can pay this cost. And he uses another example. He says, or what king going to make war against another king? Sit not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet, the, meet him that cometh against you with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. He uses an illustration of a, of a king that's in war. And let me tell you something, that we are in war. I know that it's easy to forget because it, we can become very comfortable in our lives and in our culture is very, very comfortable. But something that we need to be reminding ourselves, each you reminding me and me reminding you, is that we are in a war right now. This is more ac- applicable to us than anything else. That Satan wishes to destroy us and rip us into pieces. I mean, he wants to devour us. And the only way we will be able to defeat him is if that if we are fully surrendered, if we have forsaken all to follow Christ. And look at what this is the last verse where it says, verse thirty three. So likewise, whosoever he of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. He cannot be my disciple. Now, I wish so badly that Jesus would have said, he who doesn't forsake all won't be a good disciple of mine. He won't be a good Christian. He'll still be a Christian, right? But he won't be very good. We see this trend in America. Well, I'm a Christian, you know, but they don't really follow Christ. They don't, you know, I mean, you see they live this lifestyle that's not very, uh, doesn't replicate what Christ lived. And that all it takes to be a Christian is to sign your name on a list, right? You just have to be a card-carrying Republican, you know? Now, I'm not making a shot at Republicans or Democrats, you know. I'm just saying it's so easy to say that we're a Christian, but if you look at what Christ said, to be a follower, to, to follow Christ, to be a Christian, we have to forsake all that we are. Now, what I want to end with is this. I was thinking about this, and me and a friend were talking about this, and I, I have a question. I was like, how can a man decide, right, that God's calling him to, to some 
indigenous tribe that's never heard the gospel, right? Never, probably doesn't even have a written language, right? He knows that most likely when he gets there, they're going to try to kill him. And they probably will. How can he do this? If God called you to go take the gospel, to fly in to an island tribe that's been untouched by society, and you know that they're probably going to kill you, how can you do this? It's, it's foolish. It's really foolish. The only way that this can happen is for I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And it's not I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. In the life that I now live, in the flesh I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The only way that we can die as followers of Christ, for Christ, is if we are already dead. And that's the only way. And so my challenge is for you to sit down tonight or tomorrow and to say, okay, here's what it costs. Have I paid this cost? And if I haven't, am I willing to pay this cost? And if you are, jump on board. Let's go. Let's do work. What have you forsaken?